Welcome to What the F Fertility, the podcast and community for those thinking about having a baby, actively trying to have a baby, those struggling or maybe having treatment, wherever you are in the journey, then this podcast is for you. I'm Pips. I'm Alex. And I'm Maddie. And I have to say, ladies, I cannot believe that we are here and finally we are doing this. It's been over two years, hasn't it, of us making this just whilst we've been on such a hell of a journey, each of us. Uh, it really has been a total roller coaster, hasn't it? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's been two years. But yeah, and we have literally been asking what the F at every stage, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> but we have become so passionate about this subject and it's so important that we want to talk about it and share it with you, which is why we've created this podcast, haven't we, ladies? Yeah. Absolutely. And what the F, we've got a podcast. <laughs> Uh, so each week we will be bringing you interviews with fertility experts and I'll be on hand as your resident fertility nutritionist sharing top tips on the little things that can help us along the way so we just want to share our stories really briefly of why we're doing this Uh, so I was diagnosed with low ovarian reserve and discovered that I don't have many eggs for my age my levels were too low for IVF on the NHS but we just kept trying I was due to start IVF miraculously I actually fell pregnant naturally but sadly I had a miscarriage and after doing everything in my power and no doctor will tell you it's possible I managed to increase my levels and I now have my toddler Louie and another baby on the way. Yay! Oh, amazing. <laughs> Mads how about you? Yeah so I'm currently at the crossroads where um, I'm really seriously considering whether to end my fertility journey. I've been on a long break over a year now, and I have to say it was really well needed. I was deep in the trenches for over four years. I've had nine miscarriages, two rounds of IVF, two rounds of ICSI, and even one donor egg IVF cycle. Along this way, I've been diagnosed with immune issues, as well as endometriosis and adenomyosis. I've had the endo treated with surgery, yet still I can't quite make that decision as whether I have just one last try. You've been through so much, Maddie. Yeah, and, I, and like I said, I don't know whether just to say it was a ride and I end it. So we'll we'll figure it along the way. So for those that don't know, Maddie's my sister um, and my story quite different. So my partner and I, we were trying for a baby for over two years and we were just getting nowhere. We were sent for tests. And it was through these tests that we discovered that both my fallopian tubes are blocked, which means that IVF was the only solution. So after one failed attempt, we did get pregnant. And now I have two-year-old toddlers, Marnie and Phoenix. It's all so different. And I think that's also why it's so important that we felt we wanted to create this because we all have such distinctive journeys and stories to share. So we really hope that what the fertility can bring you some light and some hope wherever you are on your journey. And we are back for our second episode of What the F Fertility. This week, our very own What the F Fertility host and qualified registered nutritional and fertility therapist, Maddie Weaver, is in the hot seat. Maddie specialises in female health with a strong focus on hormonal balance and fertility. Her work with clients stems from a passionate belief that nutrition has a direct positive impact on one's hormonal and mental health. There is just so much information out there which can be really overwhelming. Maddie separates facts from fiction 
ensuring people feel educated and empowered to make positive changes for themselves. And I can say with the utmost confidence that Maddie was pivotal in my fertility journey with helping me regain some control with a bespoke diet and nutrition and supplement recommendations. Let's get started. Woohoo! <laughs> yes, Love, we loving are. your vibes, Alex. Loving your vibes. Well, I'm super excited because today <laughs> we've got Maddie, our resident fertility expert. And as you guys know, each week she'll be bringing us her fertility corner where she demystifies and unravels some nuggets of wisdom on fertility. But today's episode, she is dishing out all of her wisdom on what we can be doing to maximize our chances of getting pregnant through diet and nutrition and supplements. So essentially, this is more of kind of the natural approach of what we can each individually be doing, apart from thinking, oh, my God, we've got to go straight from IVF. There are little things that we can be doing uh, along the way, apart from having lots of sex. Isn't that right, buddy? A hundred percent, Pips. Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's quite scary. 10 to 15 percent of couples experience infertility. And what I think it's important to highlight is infertility is multifactorial and there's so many elements that are like out of our control. And I think what we're seeing is with people who have been trying, let's say six to 12 months, they automatically think that they need to go and start IVF. But IVF, it's costly, it's invasive. And actually, a lot of us need multiple rounds. So my advice as a nutritional therapist would be for you, and if you've got a partner, to commit to maybe three to six months of diet and lifestyle changes, because these changes, and they're not drastic, can have a really positive impact on your fertility. You may even get pregnant. But if you do need to go down that IVF route, it puts you in a much stronger position of having a successful cycle. And what I love about nutritional therapy is it gives us back this element of control because you are in control of what you put in your mouth. And do you know what? It's such a big, powerful word, that control, because it's something that you feel totally out of control when you're trying for a baby. And certainly for me, I don't know, I'm sure it's the same for you as well, Al, is you feel you can't control anything. And actually, when I came to you and you helped me and told me what to take and help with my my diet and my nutrition, you really feel so much more empowered and that you are doing something to, to help you along the way. Yeah, exactly. Just doing everything you possibly can to have a successful outcome. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This kind of preconception is really powerful. Mm. Also in terms of when you do get pregnant, of the influence it has on your unborn baby's genetics, as well as how you recover postnatally. So everything you're doing in this pre-prep is really powerful and super important. Wow. So let's have a little chat about kind of preparation and what would you say are the most important factors for us to consider? So the three most important things to consider are nutrition, stress and sleep. Okay, so they're quite big ones. So let's let's kick off with diet mads. What can we be eating? What should we be eating? So when I talk about diet, I'm talking about making sure you're eating key nutrients on a daily basis to support your physiological functions. Because when you're doing this, you're bringing your body into balance. And when your body is in balance, your hormones are playing well. And this means 
from a female's perspective, you're more likely to ovulate. And from a male perspective, you're more likely to produce good quality sperm. And it just puts you in a better position to be fertile and to become and stay pregnant. Okay. Could you just give us a couple of examples of like a good diet and a good things to eat that we can kind of take away today? Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, so the diet that has been most studied that shows to improve fertility is something called the Mediterranean diet. And I mean, there's no one diet fits all. We all digest food differently. Some of us are intolerant to food, but yeah, this diet, the Mediterranean diet has been shown to improve fertility outcomes in both males and females. So the basic principles of this diet are, it's a diet that's rich in colorful fruits and vegetables that you should be eating every single day. You are consuming whole grains and pulses over processed whole grains. So you're switching out white bread, white pasta for your brown and your rice, your spelts. You'll be eating nuts and seeds every day. And these are full of fiber and minerals. They're great for sperm health. They're also great for sort of regulating menstrual cycles in females. You're using olive oil with your cooking. So you're switching out these refined vegetable oils and you're using lots of herbs and spices, really using as much as you like. These are full of antioxidants, you know, things like coriander, They're great at helping the body detoxify and then consuming fish and seafood, which are great sources of lean protein. And they're full of these really good omega-3 fats. You're limiting your red meat and then you're taking out sugary foods and drinks. So these are the main principles of Mediterranean diet. And is there, are there any no-nos? Are there any things that you should kind of invo- avoid eating when you're trying to get pregnant? I would say when it comes to getting pregnant, everyone is different. I wouldn't say, I don't like to say strictly no, no. But what I like to take out is anything and really minimize is trans fats, which you find in your confectionery, you find in your a lot of like pre-prepared and frozen meals. The kind of processed food processed food yeah. and then and then sugars so anything that's refined anything that's white so on on that framework of a mediterranean diet i then sort of build up upon it for my own fertility clients and what i find that works really well and i've seen it improve fertility markers is balancing your blood sugar levels so the way i do this is making sure that the composition of your meals is is really balanced. And the one thing that I see time and time again with the clinic, in the clinic with my clients is we are not eating enough protein and protein really helps balance our blood sugar levels. We're often eating far too many carbohydrates, especially foods that are processed, so like white bread, toast, even in some of like our, our milks, like we've I've seen this massive trend of a movement to um, oat milk, and that's actually just purely refined liquid carbohydrate. Wow. And what this does from like a fertility spe- a perspective is anything high in carbohydrate spikes your blood sugar levels and when you have this high level of glucose in the blood what it can do is it can cause um inflammation you produce a a lot of something called a hormone called insulin 
Um, and, and what we see is over time, this can negatively influence our sex hormones. So it can, it wow. can, yeah, you can, it can produce less testosterone in men and testosterone we need for good, healthy sperm. And what it can do is it can cause a stress response as well in both males and females. We produce a stress hormone called cortisol and cortisol can really negatively impact ovulation for females. And, you know, and if you're not ovulating, you will not get pregnant regardless of, you know, whatever you do, you're not producing an egg. There's no chance. So that's something that I really like to build on on top of this Mediterranean framework is balancing blood sugar levels by making sure we're having protein at every meal. And it's quite a simple thing to do, but it's actually really quite um, profound and quite, um, it, it has, I've had seen really good clinical outcomes. So I just want to butt in here because it, when I was trying going through IVF, and you were helping me and put me on my um, diet. One of the things we looked at was protein and we had to increase increase my protein intake. And it's really hard. It's really hard, especially getting the protein I found at breakfast. Can mm. you share some tips of ways of getting that protein in, which are easy and effective? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, like I said, it's the, it's the one thing, it's the one nutrient that we see people not consuming enough of. So you, it's not always like every morning you're one of going to be getting like, you know, your lean meats. Out yeah. Dish. But it's a charcuterie got- for breakfast. <laughs> 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 although, Pips, that's processed. If we're going to have... Oh, God, pips, sorry, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, chicken. Yeah. Oh, my God, hang on a minute. So do you mean I, sh- I, can't, I shouldn't have that much cheese? well that that's that's a high fat food yeah i mean lots of cheese is not great but that's let's focus on protein okay, we'll focus, yeah, focus, sorry. <laughs> i don't so i don't mean to just butt in with my personal preferences but <laughs> um, we do want to keep to a minimum because it's okay. got something called saturated fat in and too much saturated fat can again isn't great for heart health it can cause inflammation then suddenly we start producing a stress hormone so limit okay. your cheese Okay. When it comes to breakfast, what we want to be doing is really simple ways is eggs is a great way. So you could boil an egg for six minutes and you could have that with some whole grain toast, maybe a little side of smoked salmon. If you really don't even have that much time, a protein powder can be really good. Just be careful of the kind of protein powders that you're taking. Read the back of labels. Make sure that they haven't got too many fillers in them or any additives. So good quality plant protein. I find in clinic, not loads of people like the taste. They can be quite artificial. Then another really good alternative is to have a collagen powder. And these are pretty much tasteless. They are made from either fish bones or from from cow cartilage. You can't be a vegetarian to consume these, but they act like a protein and they also really keep blood sugar levels balanced. So just a teaspoon of that in a in a drink or a smoothie. Yeah, I added it into my morning smoothie and yeah, it was it was fantastic and people kept on saying, "Oh my gosh, your skin and eyes are looking so good at the moment." But yeah, collagen powder is such a good one. I was going to also mention red meat and protein. Is that something we should be careful of? Yeah. So Looking at the framework of that Mediterranean diet and what I recommend in clinic is 
minimizing it to maximum two portions a week, but one portion ideally. And this is simply because red meat can have a pro-inflammatory effect on the body. Your body produces an inflammatory cascade. And, and this kind of low-grade inflammation within the body can impact all hormones, such as our sex hormones. So we just want to be minimizing these. But lean meat is like white fish, white chicken, turkey. These are all safe to consume. For our vegetarian and vegan listeners out there who are thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not getting enough protein. What can you recommend for them? So plant protein in the form of quinoa, legumes like pulses, they're going to be your best sources. What I would say is if you are a predominantly plant-based veggie vegan is to make sure that you're diversifying your plants. So if you're having quinoa at lunch, make sure you're having lentils at dinner and then chickpeas the next day. So not just sticking to one source of plant protein. So in in animal protein, you have your essential amino acids and these amino acids, you have um, 11 of these and these make up a complete protein. Plants don't have them and they have them in slightly different uh, ratios. So just to ensure that you're getting the right amount of protein, just be varied. And if you're worried about that, a really good plant protein um, powder is a really good add-on. I'm so fascinated. I want to just quickly talking about the Mediterranean diet and fruit and veg. Mm-hmm. How much fruit and veg should we be consuming? What can help us? So I recommend between seven and ten portions a day. That's a lot. Now, it, oh, my a lot and actually I was going through the research it's actually quite scary because only a third of the UK population are make are doing five portions a day of fruits and veg I mean there's so many reasons why fruits and vegetables have um, contained fiber which we need for our gut microbiome and uh, it helps support and create diversity within the gut microbiome and This healthy gut is linked to balance of blood sugars. It's linked to balance um, hormones. So we really want to be making sure we're getting this amount of fiber. But what they do also have is they're packed full of antioxidants as well, which we need for good cell health. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, back in the day, we probably needed to consume less, but intensive farming has really depleted the soils. So to ensure we're getting this broad spectrum of minerals and vitamins, my advice is, is to go high. And if you're looking at your plate, and this is when it all comes to, you know, looking, you know, the composition of your meals is you want half of your plate to consist of fruits and vegetables. And if you're having three meals a day, if you can have three portions at each meal, then then you're onto a winner. So if you're thinking about breakfast, berries, they're super potent in antioxidants, getting in a couple of berries and maybe, you know, a, a handful of spinach. It's not that hard. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's, it's kind of having those little bits that you can chuck in that you're constantly adding the fruit and the veg to sort of everything that you're eating and all those sort of little snacks, isn't it? Obviously, we're talking a lot of here about diet, Mediterranean diet. 
what are your thoughts Mads on organic because often you know we said oh eat organic it's so much better for you but in terms of like right now in the current cost of living crisis how much does it actually make a difference to have organic rather than non-organic products it's such a good question Pips because if we'd have had this conversation we have had this conversation my stance was organic is better so there's a few things to consider and then I think it's really up to the individual to to figure out where they want to put their money and to know the pros and cons of going organic and not so the reason why I suggest going organic is simply because fruits and vegetables have less pesticide residues on them And the studies show that they have more micronutrients in them. So they contain more vitamin C, more iron, more magnesium, all these essential minerals and vitamins that we need for a healthy physiological function. The reason why we go organic when it comes to meat is because they are exposed to less antibiotics, less growth hormone, as well as pesticides. And these are all stored within the tissue that we consume. Um, it also shows that um, that omega that there's a higher concentration of omega-3 in, um, in organic meat, which is a much better fat than omega-6 that you see in non-organic meat. So that those are the facts. So what can we do is... When it comes to, let's talk about fruits and veggies first, there's something called the clean 15 and the dirty dozen. So you can go on and Google that. The clean 15 are the top 15 fruits and vegetables that have the least amount of uh, pesticides and sprays used on them. So those are something that you could do and eat non-organic. The dirty dozen, and they often see spinach and a lot of berries, especially strawberries. These are the fruits and veggies that have the most amount of pesticides on them. So maybe you want to think actually with the dirty dozen, I'll go organic there. Another option is because do you know what food prices at the moment are actually terrifying. And I myself, I'm not really buying organic at the moment. But what I am doing is I'm really washing my fruits and veggies. I'm letting them soak in some apple cider vinegar and some bicarbonate of soda for a good 20 minutes. Then I'm drying them and putting them in my fridge. When it comes to meat, I'm eating smaller portions and um, cheaper cuts of at least, you know, free range, you know, go for grass fed if you can't go organic. My other top tip would be is when it comes to berries, if you buy them fresh and organic, they're expensive. You can buy large bags of frozen organic berries and you store them in your freezer. The nutrients are not compromised. You often think, oh, if I go frozen, will the composition of these uh, antioxidants, these minerals be uh, compromised? No, they're not. So that's another cost-effective way is looking at what is in your frozen section and what is organic. So, So those are just some things to consider and you know you, you just got to do what's right for you and 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 just work within your budget mm. it's a tough time at the moment i love that i i have my frozen berries still in my freezer and that's what i will do just grab a handful add it to my morning smoothie your yeah, collagen powder and boom you've got yourself a super nutritious delicious shake sis 
What yes. is your view on BMI? So for those that don't know what BMI is, it's your body mass index. Um, what's your view on that and, your, and its impact on fertility? Do you know, I love this question because BMI as, as a number, it's quite crude. All it is, is your uh, height divided by your weight. You get this number and ideally you want to be within 20 to 25. That's an, an ideal optimal weight. I've actually had a lot of positive impact um, with working with people on this reference range because what I have found is when I work with females that are slightly under, as in like 18, 19, so just slightly under that 20, is by increasing their BMI and not just by grabbing, taking out the crisps and the burgers and being like, there you go, have a lovely feed, but actually increasing nutrition, uh, eating nutrient dense food but just increasing the volume it is that they have better outcomes and the science does show that if you have a bmi of less than 20 you are a higher risk of infertility and ovulation which means you are not ovulating that cycle you may be still having a period but doesn't mean you're ovulating and then you have a lower chance of having a live birth if you're low or high and it's also really good to know that if you have a high bmi and you're wanting to go down the ivf route with the nhs they won't treat you if you're above 30 so i think there's a lot to be said yes you've got to take it with a pinch of salt if you're super super muscular it may mean that you've got a slightly higher bmi but i mean alex i don't know if you would like to well, share was, yeah the, that's the reason i asked you that question because for me my bmi um i can't even remember but i was it was i think it was in the normal 18 and, it was 18, 18, and is that that was normal range right it but is, it was yeah. to a doctor yeah the doctor would say normal range fine but with you, when you looked at my my diet, my weight, everything, that was something that we tweaked and you encouraged me to look at ways on like increasing my BMI. And we did that with, you know, just adding the healthy, good sources of fat to avocado, nuts, a little bit more oil here and there. And so, and yeah, and because of that, I strongly believe that was why my IVF was successful because the first round that I did, I didn't change anything. And then second time round, when I did all these tweaks after my consultation with you, it was successful. So, yeah, that's why I brought up that question, because I yeah. thought it was so interesting and something I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah. And also ways, way, good ways to kind of increase it kind of gradually and, and, and safely with, and eating the right foods to do to do that is, again, really, really interesting. So, Mads, one thing that I want to ask about is obviously alcohol, because I have cut out all alcohol when I was trying to uh, have um, a baby and for for a long time but how much of a difference does that actually make okay so this is a really good question and I I'm just going to go evidence-based so as a nutritional therapist how we work is with research and we work with facts so the evidence shows so for example I'll, I'll just talk about a few studies that I've pulled recently So there was a study that looked at couples who had two or more failed IVF attempts. And this isn't talking about natural conception, we're going to IVF. But it showed that if they abstained from alcohol, they had a 90% chance of achieving a pregnancy and a live birth within three years. So they completely abstained. Wow. And they 
two failed attempts prior, they showed that women who drank three drinks a week had a 30% chance of conceiving within three years. So even that statistic alone is three drinks a week compared to nothing. There's a difference of, what is it, you know, 60%. It's quite a lot. What this research doesn't take into consideration is the quality of the alcohol. So I would say if you want to have a lovely glass of organic red wine occasionally, it is not going to do you a huge amount of harm. So again, it's looking at the research and making making a choice. And again, it's all about choice and you're in control and using the knowledge that's available. If I'm working with a really complex couple, someone that's had multiple miscarriage, that's maybe got some pre-existing conditions, there's male factor going on, I will take it out. But if it's someone's at the beginning of their fertility journey, there's nothing major that we can see, then I would say really moderate, very limited consumption of good quality alcohol shouldn't be a problem. If it gives you a little bit of pleasure as well. Totally. If it takes if it takes a bit of the stress away, then you know. But it's yeah. so interesting that, it, as you say, that 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 they're the facts, and it's actually, it does. You know, I think it does make a huge difference. Although it is boring, and you feel like, oh God, not this as well. But it's coming back to being in control. And I actually like, I did cut out the alcohol and I just felt, yeah, this is my decision. I'm in control. This is my decision, you know, and yeah. (laughs) So we've spoken about cutting out alcohol. What are your views, Maddie, on caffeine? Because I did cut out caffeine whilst I was trying for a baby. Me too. You did did as well. You both did. Caffeine is something that I'm a little bit more relaxed about because, again, coming back to research, research shows that moderate consumption should not affect fertility or pregnancy outcomes. So when we say moderate, what we mean is less than four to five cups on a daily basis. Actually, that's quite a lot. It is a lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the research. So I, what my recommendations is in, in my clinic is no more than two cups of coffee, two to three cups of strong, uh, strong black tea. But use your common sense. Like, as with everything, when we switch to things like decaf, and I see this a lot in clinic, is people say, oh, I've gone decaf. Look at how that caffeine has been removed so caffeine has to be taken out and there's two ways in which it can be done one is by like it's called water process where they basically flush the caffeine out with water and the other one is is through chemicals so we don't want to yeah you need to be careful how you're consuming this decaf tea and coffee and just looking at the back of the the product or you can even sometimes they don't say email the production manager and say how has this process taken place and make sure that it's been water processed that's so interesting also I found a massive difference when I did cut out the caffeine to my sleep yeah I slept better and that's why I've kind of then continued to, to to limit it that's really interesting thanks Mads so a huge one which I think mind boggled all of us mm. and is where we spent well it's probably where I spent a lot of money as well is supplements yeah <laughs> I 
I'm also just looking at Alex's face when I said that is because you know we've literally all gone cross-eyed because there's so many there's so many things that you're you should you know you could take and you should take and you're recommended to take but what are the basics that we need to be taking okay so listen it is it is a total minefield science is forever changing someone's recommending this someone's recommending that what I'm going to say is really general But what I would also highlight is if you're taking any kind of medication or if you've got any kind of pre-existing condition, then I would work with someone like a nutritional therapist like myself or a healthcare practitioner just to make sure that the supplements that you're taking are not going to have any contraindications with condition or medication. So with that out of the way, what I would say is just start by taking a really good quality prenatal. And the evidence shows that a good quality multivitamin prenatal can improve pregnancy rates compared with just taking folic acid, which is what often people take and what they're recommended by the doctor. So good quality prenatal. And I really believe that what you pay for you're going to get in terms of quality and just very simply put it is when it comes to vitamins and minerals they come in many forms and you want the form that is the most bioavailable which means your body will take in that vitamin or mineral and and utilize it if it is not bioavailable your body will take it in and just excrete it out through poo or pee So you get what you pay for. And again, just going into this a little bit, delving into this a little bit deeper is vitamins and minerals come in all these different forms. And you want to make sure that that form is the most bioavailable, which means your body will actually utilize and take in that substance. So to highlight this even further is we have something called it's B9, but we often see this as folic acid. And folic acid is actually a synthetic form of B9. And what's staggering is there's a huge proportion of us that actually can't even utilize this folic acid. So we're taking it in and we're just peeing it out. What you want to be taking is it's bioavailable in its natural form, and that comes in as folate. So when you look at the back of your supplement, Check B9 and see how it is occurring. Is it coming in as folic acid or is it in as naturally occurring folate? And it will say, and you want to be going for that folate option. Okay, so apart from folate and your multi, what else should we be taking? Okay, so my other top two, and this is really actually for males and females. Number one is vitamin D. Vitamin D deficiency is literally an epidemic at the moment. It's associated with lower pregnancy rates and it's correlated to endometrial thickness as well. And you want to have a nice thick lining when it comes to getting pregnant. So vitamin D um, as and it occurs as D3. That's the kind of form that you want to have for both males and females. And then fish oil, fish oil high amounts of omega-3. It's crucial for healthy hormone regulation. It's anti-inflammatory. It improves the sperm membranes. It protects the sperm from oxidative stress. And it also protects 
the egg membrane. It makes it supple and it makes it easy to be penetrated by the sperm. So yeah, vitamin D, fish oil, and your multi. And those are three really good basics that you should be having. Amazing. So, so interesting. So Maddie, we, we asked you at the very beginning about, you know, how we can prepare our body and you touched on stress and Dr. Zoe Williams in our previous episode, she also mentioned stress is one of the biggest factors that can affect your fertility. What's your view on this and what can be done? Yeah, I mean, look, stress, it's a hard one. We're post-COVID, this cost of living crisis. You know, we're all affected by stress. But it's it's interesting and it's important to know that when we're stressed, we're producing high levels of this stress hormone called cortisol. And I, I touched upon it earlier on. This can impact ovulation in females. And it can lower the production of testosterone in men. And low testosterone in men reduces the quality of sperm. So stress has a real impact on our fertility status. So what can we do? I think it's about finding what's right for you in terms of how we can alleviate stress, whether that be yoga for self-care, mind and body. There are some really good meditation apps. I love the one called Mindful IVF, and it can help you with um, really short little meditations related to the IVF process and also um, natural conception process. That's really good. I used that one and really, really enjoyed using the mindful IVF. I think I thought it was it thought it was really, really helpful. And the guy's got a really calming voice. Gorgeous and- voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, lots of other mind body techniques, you know, counseling, talking therapies, even just breath work. And spending time in nature with friends and family. There's another little bit of equipment that I've been using recently with clients and even on myself. It works on your vagus nerve, which is linked to reducing stress. And there's lots of techniques that you can you can do. You can tap your chest, you can hum and buzz. But this is called a sensate. And you literally place it on your collarbone and it vibrates. It's absolutely incredible. And it's really shown to reduce stress. It's not cheap, um, but yeah, it's called a sensate. And again, that's that's really good for for stress. So that's like something external that you put on. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's literally like a it's like a vibrating little thing. <laughs> but but talking about you know in this current climate where everything is costing us a bomb, I do think on YouTube there's so many amazing meditations available out there which don't cost anything visualizations I did a lot of visualization when I was going through my OVF which really helped me so I would from just from where I'm standing I would definitely say to people you there's so much out there just google go on YouTube look up things doesn't need to be long does it five minutes a day can make a huge difference something that you kind of forget about when you're going through all this is is actually having a chat with your mates and having a bit of fun because I feel like you know when you're restricting yourself and you're not you're not drinking there's not much caffeine you're really watching what you're drinking and obviously it's all for a a greater cause but it can feel like you're taking the fun out of a lot of everyday things when in actual fact you know just laughter and having a laugh with your mates is as as important isn't it would you say and saying and saying what the f and saying what the f (laughs) 100 percent. i've looked i think 
this is a very overwhelming time. It's, you know, infertility in itself is stressful. So it's it's finding what works for you, even just being in nature, taking yourself out for a five, 10 minute walk, getting the phone away from you, not being on Instagram, like all these little things can really have a positive impact. And it's just reminding yourself, okay, what can I do? Turn the phone off, call a mate, or you know, it it's it's overwhelming. I was going to say, reach out to us, have a chat, have a chat. And mm-hmm. I just fi- finally, I just want to touch on Mads because we mentioned this at the top as well. In terms of preparation, is one of the biggest factors as well is sleep. And I have suffered from you know quite bad insomnia and bad sleeping patterns for a long time, and obviously that in itself is stressful on top of when you're having to go through what you're going through and trying for a baby and being diagnosed with infertility and all these kind of things. What can we do around sleep? I mean, look, sleep is often overlooked. However, if you can improve your sleep, this is relatively cost effective. There's not loads that you need to be spending on. So sleep hygiene is really important. And we kind of touched upon it just then, but really simple things not looking at your phone 30 minutes to an hour before bedtime and even not not having it by your it's bedtime. It's so hard though. <laughs> I know, but that blue light messes with your brain chemistry. Um, so no TV in bed, no laptop in bed, trying to avoid caffeine post 4 p.m., blackout blinds if you can, if you have them, or if you don't have them, an eye mask. This helps signal to the body that you are in that rest state and then you start producing a hormone called melatonin which helps with your 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 sleep cycle and yeah like like I said it's underlooked but looking at sleep it can be really influential on hormones on balancing them it can have an impact on your blood sugars as well so it it shouldn't be overlooked amazing Mads, what an what an episode to to go through! Like it's such a pleasure chatting to you and hearing all your expertise. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. Look, we just scratched upon the surface, but I hope this helps demystify some myths. And thank you. And if you've got any questions, then do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. And yeah, let's hand over to Maddie in our fertility corner. This week, I'm going to talk about omega-3. Now, omega-3 is a type of essential fatty acid, and it plays crucial roles in the fertility journey for both males and females. For men, it supports sperm health, and it can improve sperm count, concentration, mobility, and morphology, as well as protecting against oxidative damage. And for ladies, it helps keep the cell walls supple, allowing for easy penetration for sperm during the fertilization stage. It may also improve egg quality in older ladies. Omega-3 also has anti-inflammatory properties and inflammation can be caused by blood sugar imbalances, stress, over-exercising, PCOS, endometriosis, adenomyosis, any gut or vaginal dysbiosis. So looking at your omega-3 status may improve your fertility status. 
So omega-3 can be found in oily fish. And for the vegetarians, it's also found in small amounts in nuts and seeds. Now, supplementation of omega-3 could be well considered for those trying to improve their fertility status. However, I would recommend working with a qualified therapist who can assess your own omega-3 status through a simple blood test. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you found this episode useful. And as ever, if you have any questions, please get in touch with us on Instagram at Soul Sisters Fitness, at Pips underscore Taylor, or at WTF Fertility. And you can rate us and subscribe if you like what you've heard. We'll see you next time. Sending so much love and be confident in knowing you're doing absolutely everything you can. You've got this.